Dave Palumbo wrote a post on Muddy Colors a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago. And uh, he was talking about the criteria that he uses for taking on a job. And uh, it was very simple. It was, do I want to do this? You know, am I excited about doing this? That sounds like such a no-brainer. One, two, three, four. It's time to go behind the minds of today's top creative professionals and leaders to uncover the secrets to creativity and discover the true strategy you need to thrive in the marketplace. Creative Trek is the show designed to help you make your mark. Now here's your host, Sean O'Daniels. Hey, welcome to Creative Trek, and I'm really excited to bring my next guest to you, Howard Lyon. Howard has worked in the video game industry as a concept artist, art director, and illustrator, painting for clients such as Wizard of the Coasts and Electronic Arts. He studied illustration at Brigham Young University, as well as the Grand Central Academy, now the Grand Central Atelier, in New York, and has traveled to Italy and France for some focused study as well. He recently moved to Utah and writes a bi-monthly post for the Muddy Colors blog. Today's episode is really inspiring. Howard really dives in and shares his journey with us today and really defines two key points here in this episode. We talk about voice, you know, the all mystic, elusive voice. And, you know, more importantly, how your voice serves who you are. It's not something you have to develop. It's not something you have to master. We all have a voice already. It's just a matter of using it. And second of all, the importance of slowing down and focusing, especially if you can't find your voice. If you don't know what your voice is, if you don't know what you want to say, if you don't know what matters to you or what you're passionate about, sometimes you just have to slow down, unplug, and listen. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's dive in and get to know Howard Lyon. You know, I I think my background's probably similar to a lot of artists that you've talked to. I've always loved to draw. Um, as a kid, I spent a lot of time uh, drawing with crayon and then pencil and then pen and ink. And and uh, when I was about ten, I had a friend. We were on a, a camp out, and he pulled out Dungeons and Dragons, and we started playing. And we ended up playing through the whole night, and I really fell in love with it. And um, as we started to play more, I found myself spending more and more time drawing my character and drawing the characters of, of my friends that were playing. In fact, I suspect I, I spent a lot more time drawing my character than I did actually playing <laughs> the actual game. Um, and I'd look through the book and look at the monster manual and the dungeon master's guide. And I saw these drawings in there, Clyde Caldwell and Larry Elmore and Brom and Keith Parkinson and thought, man, if I could do this for a living, that's what I want to do. And so a couple more years went by. And when I was 12, I told my parents that I wanted to be an artist and they were fantastic. Uh, um, they got me into some classes. I had a neighbor who was, I think he was in 11th grade or so at the time. And I was, I was in sixth grade and he was learning perspective and, and all of these great rendering techniques at school, at high school. And so he started teaching me art lessons. And uh, for the first year, 
I just withdraw boxes and turn them into cities and buildings, you know, and learning one point perspective and two point perspective. And uh, as I got older, when a lot of the other kids were out doing other things and, you know, rollerblading or riding their skateboards or whatever, I was inside drawing. And it, I was always really drawn to um, to art and and studying that. And I just kept kept rolling with it. So when I was in high school, I started taking courses at the local community college, and I took some drawing courses there. I had some really wonderful teachers. One of them was J.D. Parrish, and he went to Art Center in Pasadena and worked with Drew Struzan for a while. And he shared with me a lot of the things that that he did when he was working with Drew. And um, then I had a couple other teachers that were really influential. After that, I I went up to Utah to study at Brigham Young University. I enrolled in their illustration program. And they had some working professionals that were teaching in their program that had a big influence on me. Don Siegmiller was one of my teachers. Um, he's uh, real prominent with Corel Painter. You see a lot of his artwork and name um, with that program. He's just an excellent artist. Um, James Christensen was another one of my teachers. I didn't have him um, for very long as a teacher, but I had admired his work from the from the time I was a kid, and so it was a real treat to be able to have him as one of my instructors. And from there, I went and did some study at Grand Central Academy in New York um, in uh, just a few years ago. To I guess in two thousand nine to kind of help me develop my. Um, oil painting skills a little bit more. And uh, that same summer, I also went to illustration masterclass in Massachusetts. And those two classes had a had a huge impact on me, um, really my confidence level to kind of make the jump from doing digital work to oil painting. I'm, I think I'm kind of drifting a little bit. No, it's a question. So, so, so you started off in digital before traditional? You know, actually... When I first started in school, um, I I thought for sure I'd come right out of school and start doing fine art, start doing gallery work and, and working as both an illustrator and fine artist. And while I was at school, I was hired to work at a company called Sapphire in Utah. And they were a video game company. They did a lot of, they were initially were an art house where they would do the artwork for a lot of games. That was back when you could do all of the artwork for a video game in three months. And uh, so I had the chance to work on a lot of different games. I think while I was there, I worked on almost 28 games or 29 games, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, really got hooked working digitally. I, wor- I was using, at the time, it was called Fractal Painter, and it was version two of the program. And uh, came to really love working digitally, um, but it's only been in the last, I think, six years that I've I've switched back to working traditionally for most of my work. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Before we dive in further into your career, do you have like a quote or a mantra or some kind of philosophy that you've carried with you throughout your career, or that you maybe you have now? Yeah, there's um, there's a quote that my mom would tell me when I was a kid, you know, when I'd make poor decisions, um, or when I'd make good decisions. And uh, here's a quote: It said. Character is the ability to follow through on a decision long after the excitement and emotion of the moment has passed. That's by Robert Cabot. I've always really liked that quote. It's made me consider um, 
I think a lot of us as artists were dreamers and we come up with these ideas that we think are really wonderful. It might be a big grand vision for doing something and we're excited about it and we start to jump in and, and then the work comes and then it gets, life gets busy and, and uh, the difficulties of any given task, really anything that's worth doing is, is probably going to be challenging to do. And, uh, maybe that emotion and that excitement fades a little bit. And uh, we we put the project aside and we don't follow through on it. I think that's true with a lot of things in life. Um, exercise is probably one that everyone can relate to. We all get jazzed up to get in shape and have this great physique or great health. And then we kind of lose enthusiasm for it and it falls off. And uh, that quote has helped me a lot with projects that I've wanted to do that have been intimidating or large that I've been very excited about initially and then uh, maybe get face the face the reality of the task and um, maybe want to back off from it. And I think about that. I think about what it means to have character and what it means to, to kind of fulfill your dreams. And, and uh, it's helped me. It's motivated me. Yeah. Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, you had a long, long run in the game industry, yeah. you know, um, working as an art director, concept artist, illustrator. Now, what made you make that major pivot into going out on your own and pursuing your fine art career now? You know, the video game industry was really good to me. I learned a lot and I essentially got paid to develop my sense of color and develop my drawing skills more, um, learn how to think creatively or develop a creative process. And, uh, it, I, I don't regret any of the time that I spent working in video games. It was really wonderful, but I did get to the point where I was working so many hours that it no longer made sense for me to, to make that contribution into the video game industry. I felt like the sacrifice was kind of outweighing what I was getting back from it. I had, one company where I was working that uh, I had a futon in my room and a sleeping bag and a pillow. And at first I thought, well, this is a great idea because I'll be able to catch a little sleep when we're having crunch mode. And and then I realized what I was doing to myself that that just wasn't right. Um, I had one, one week, actually it happened several times, where I went into work and it, I went home almost 40 hours later. And that was with no sleep. Um, you know, I, I put in a 36 hour day and a 38 hour day and was just so tired. And I thought, well, I could work this hard for myself. And I think I could, I think I could find success if I work this hard. <laughs> and, uh, so I quit and, uh, started to do freelance work for Paizo Publishing and then Wizards of the Coast. And I think I made more. I think I made more my second year of freelancing than I ever did in video games. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of drove home to me the the power of working hard, but uh, working hard for yourself is even more rewarding. Right, right. Sometimes when you look at the ROI, like the return on, on investment and how you're spending your energy, it's really good to take stock, you know, yeah. and to evaluate, you know, I'm, you know, how hard am I working for? And you have a salary cap and, you know, no matter how hard or how, how, you know, little you work, it's still going to be the same salary. Yeah, cap. that's right. But when you work on your own, 
you're building your own as, you know, the, the coin term John Mueller put out was building your own creative equity. And I think as artists, all of us have a natural product. You know, we have our art. And I think it's great that you're, you're realizing in terms of investing in, in yourself and in your own art, you're, you can start building something. So yeah. that, that, that's awesome. It is. It's very exciting. And even, I mean, just the smallest things like putting up your own website and building a storefront and getting to decide this is what my my logo, this is what my header and the footer is going to look like. I mean, it's kind of simple, almost silly things are very exciting. It's it's neat to uh, be in control of your image and and uh, in control of all of your efforts. Dave Palumbo wrote a post on Muddy Colors a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago. And uh, he was talking about the criteria that he uses for taking on a job. And uh, it was very simple. It was, do I want to do this? You know, am I excited about doing this? That sounds like such a no-brainer. But uh, it's, it really becomes a powerful a uh, kind of litmus test for the kind of work that you take on. Am I excited about doing this? And this is this something that I want to do? And man, the difference between the quality of my work with projects that I'm excited about versus projects that I just take because I either needed the money or I thought it would might give me some good exposure or um, expose me to some new clients. Um, you know, I still put in 100% of my effort to it, but I can tell the difference between the work that I'm really thrilled to do and the work that I'm just doing because it's work. Yes. It's really important, as I like to say, to have that velvet rope. You know, mm, yeah. you need to be able to, you know, take the clients that you want to take and you're going to do better work in turn anyways. Right. Uh, yeah. Settling for less or settling out of fear is always going to end badly. And in, I think in the past, I use a couple of analogies as well. You know, business is a lot like relationships and it's kind of like blind dating. Uh, when you first get that first date and, uh, you know, it's not working out, just walk away. Right. <laughs> you know, right. because if you keep trying to make it work, you're in, you're going to end up burning bridges. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very similar with clients, you know, um, it's, it's really easy for artists to, get scared and to take the job for the money. And in the end, they're hurting themselves and that relationship. Right. So, yeah. Um, no, that's really, that's really valuable insight right there. Uh, but Howard, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this. Um, it's, you know, creative Trek, really the show's about the artist's journey, right? And I want you to share with us a little bit more about your art and who your art serves. You know, that's a great question. And it's one that I really, only started to ask myself about five years ago um, is was what is my voice? I think I, I think for a long time I was lost a little bit in just the the commercial side of it, um, just doing work because it was the work that was presented to me. Um, and a lot of times it was work that I loved. Like I said, I my roots in art really go back to playing D&D as a kid and reading fantasy and science fiction novels. And if you look at my portfolio, the vast majority of it is fantasy and science fiction, and I absolutely love it. Um, I get very excited about doing a magic card um, or doing doing a cover for a fantasy novel. But, uh, but 
I also have looked back to a lot of the old masters, um, particularly 19th century artists, and thought, ooh, I want to do something like this. You know, I, I want to do artwork that um, wasn't necessarily done for commercial interest, but was done um, as an expression of my voice. I look at Waterhouse and I look at Tatama, some of his historical paintings. I look at Bouguereau and uh, I'm so inspired by their the craft, the quality of their work, um, some of the narratives that they were able to convey and uh, thought, well, how can I kind of make this transition? And I knew, I mean, the earning money, earning salary is definitely a reality that we all face as artists. So I, I looked at the market and I thought, what is something that I can invest myself in um, 100% where I feel like I can paint something that has integrity, you know, that I am excited about, that that does represent me. And so I decided to start doing some religious work. Um, religion's always been an important part of my life. I've, I've always um, been uplifted by spiritual aspects of life. I know that um, in a lot of the art world, that isn't, um, that isn't the case, but there is a huge part of the art market where, where that kind of work is celebrated. And a lot of the great artwork of the past from Caravaggio all the way up through uh, Bouguereau and and even like uh, Dali. Yeah. Uh, there's some wonderful religious artwork out there. And I thought, well, this is a market that I can jump into and be able to earn a living and kind of make that transition into doing more fine art. Um, and I'll always continue to do illustration. I have mm-hmm. no plans to not uh, work for magic as long as they'll have me doing work and, and still doing – uh, fantasy and sci-fi novels and and that kind of work when I when I can, but um, it has been very rewarding to make that transition uh, because each of the pieces that I've done I've done for myself, but also keeping an audience in mind. Um, so that's that's kind of the last five years of my life has been making that transition into doing work that I would consider. Um, a little more in line with, with my heart, you know, a little more in line with, with what I've always wanted to do. Right. No, that's, that's great. I mean, something that I've recently learned myself over the past couple of years is, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in every artist has a talent and what is a talent? You know, it's a gift. And what do you do with gifts? You give them away, right? You share it, you serve. And I think every artist has that gift to serve and you're serving an audience. Like you said, that is probably pretty grossly underserved by the art market and art industry. And, uh, not to draw comparisons, but Thomas Kincaid, sure. He served, he served the same audience and, you know, he did very well. Right. Right. If you find a large audience that is being underserved and you have something that can fill a need or solve a pain. And I think art does that you are off to the races. And I think every artist has this natural ability and gift to serve. And I think it's wonderful you're doing it now. And I think you're going to do very, very well. And uh, I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. Um, You're on this new venture for the last five years. Um, What are some of your biggest obstacles or challenges that you're finding um, now that you're on your own? Um. 
you know, it, I feel like actually that my, my income has been more stable working on my own than it was in video games. I've a lot of, a lot of my friends that have worked in the video game industry, they'll, they kind of start to see the writing on the wall and then they come into work one day and they're like, yeah, we're, we're having layoffs and, you know, half the staff is gone or even the whole company will close down. I worked for Sapphire and they're gone. I worked for a company called Cinematics. They're gone. I had my own company and it was killed by 9-11. All the investment kind of disappeared after 9-11 hit and the economy took a big hit. And then I worked for a company called Realm Interactive and they got purchased by NCSoft and then closed down. Then I worked for a company called Cheyenne Mountain Entertainment and they're gone. Um, But my freelance company is still standing. You know, it's... I've I've been able to have more consistent financial uh flow working for myself than than working for other companies. So in that sense it that's been easier. Um by the time I I definitely learned how to work hard working in video game it, the video game industry and so by the time I did break out to do freelance um which I think was about I think it was about 12 years ago that I started to do freelance full time. Um, that, uh, like I said, I knew how to work hard. And so that wasn't an issue. Probably the biggest challenge that I face now that I'm doing some religious work and some fine art, but also doing fantasy is figuring out how to split my time. You know, do I go to portrait society of America's event or do I go to a LuxCon or do I go to, comic-con in san diego or do i go to the plein air convention in monterey you know there's only so many events that i can go to and uh kind of develop my skills and you know take advantage of networking opportunities and so that's been a challenge and what i find is sometimes i i get indecisive on which to participate in and then i don't go to anything (laughs) (laughs) you know it's and so i'm trying to be better about putting um things on the calendar a year ahead of time and saying, I'm definitely going to this next year. Another huge advantage or or blessing that I've had is my wife who is very capable. She has a master's degree in nutrition um, and she, she's worked as a wellness coach for a while. I uh, just kind of uh, on the side her, you know, while she's been raising our kids and um, she stopped doing that. And now she runs my business full time. And that's been, that's been amazing. Um, you know, my, my social media presence on Facebook and Pinterest is all her. Um, whenever it's typed in my voice, that's actually her doing, doing that work. And it's, it's taken a lot of work off my shoulders. She also does all my print fulfillment and she's helped me with my calendaring. Um, so if you have the opportunity to have that kind of a partnership, um, I absolutely go for it. It's been wonderfully fulfilling for both of us um, to work together, but it's also been a huge plus for me. That's great. I have another question I want to ask you, you know, with everything that's going on in the industry now, with all the new publishing platforms, you know, you have on-demand publishing, you have, uh, you know, educational platforms where people are putting up tutorials and, I want to ask you, I mean, what do you, what, is there something out there that you're seeing that's happening in the industry that you're really excited about? You know, I, 
I am very excited about Kickstarter. It's not something that I've taken advantage of, but I've seen other creators take their work and be able to do things that they that they might not have been able to do otherwise without a publisher behind them or some larger entity to help fund it. Uh, how exciting that as creators of of whatever writing or artwork or um, any idea that we have that that power is really returning back to us. Um, I've seen that also with my daughter and uh, her ability to write a song and record it in our home and have it on iTunes, you know, that day and be able to sell it. So as artists to be able to create something and sell it to someone in Japan or China or England or wherever and, and fulfill print orders and get it sent out to them um, without the cost just being so over the top. That's a very, this is a very exciting time to be alive as a creator. The power is really coming back to us. I think that gallery owners and traditional publishers and the, the traditional outlets for creative works have got to be wringing their hands a little bit and wondering how they're going to work with this. If you are an independent author or artist, you might have, you might not reach as big of an audience if you went through a, a big publisher. But with that big publisher, you get a you get a small slice of a very big pie. But now you can the pie might be smaller, but you get the whole pie. You know you you get all of the reward from it. So if you do a project on. Kickstarter, or if you build up your audience on Instagram or Twitter or your web page, and you're putting work out there that people want to buy, it all comes back to you, and that's very, very exciting to me. Yeah, I totally agree, and it's you must be totally uh, excited to see your own kids embracing it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're little entrepreneurs, <laughs> right? Right. It is. It's very exciting. It. Uh, I almost feel like as as creatives what we should do is probably get a degree in business and then apprentice with someone, you know, go to an atelier and do a program at an atelier while you're working on a business degree so that you have, you develop your talents in a very focused way and not have to worry about all of these ancillary classes that you take. You know, when I was working on an illustration degree, taking all of these other classes that were great, but, uh, if I were doing it over again, I would, I'd go study at like, I'd go study with Jeff Hine. He has this atelier in Salt Lake or, or some academy and then maybe get an associates in business or something so that I just have some of that background or marketing. I think that would be a more powerful combination than getting a BFA and from some school. Right. Well, I mean, you could also learn business and marketing from your mentors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's I mean, very true. And because, you know, I, from what I've heard from a lot of people who went to business school is business school doesn't teach you how to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't even teach you how to sell. I don't even think there's a, se- a course on selling in any school of business. And uh, I think they're mostly coming out as being managers. And so I don't know. I think if you worked with a mentor or you had, you became, got into an apprenticeship, you could learn business and your craft all in one. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. So, um, well, Howard, uh, I know we got to wrap up soon, so I'm just going to get to my last two couple questions here, but, um, sure. can, can you share with our audience, like if there was one book you had to leave with your children, what book would that be? Oh man, that's, 
That's a great question. If there's, I'm going to have to say two books, <laughs> but, but the, the first book, the one that it's really inspired me is I love Norman Rockwell's autobiography called, uh, it's Norman Rockwell, my adventures as an illustrator. I love it because one, we see Rockwell's work and most of his work is, uh, kind of, he, he, paints the ideal. He did some social commentary work that was so powerful towards the end of his career. But uh, I think a lot of people's vision of Norman Rockwell in his life is that he's like Mr. Rogers, you know, or that his life was, his life must have been like his paintings, but it wasn't. He had a lot of really difficult things happen in his life. And uh, he dealt with some, some real tough things in his relationship with his first wife and he had a lot of struggles, he had a lot of fears, and he had a lot of doubts that occurred along the way. Um, for a long time, at least the way he relates it in his, in his writing is that he always felt like his next painting was going to be his last one if he didn't really do a great job with it. And, and what a boost to see the legacy that he's left, to see the quality of the body of his work. And to know that he had similar doubts and fears and that he was also able to create work that was uplifting and makes, makes people feel good, makes people smile and uplifts them, uh, even with a lot of hardship in his life. So I, I've come to admire him more for his challenges and for his fears than, than just based on his body of work alone. So that's been a great, I, I love that book. And then the other book that I love um, from an art instruction standpoint is James Gurney's book, Imaginative Realism. If I were going to tell an artist to get just one book, it would have to be one of those two. Did James Gurney also do the light, the book on light? Yeah, Color and Light. And yeah. it's, it's really wonderful. I feel like it's a great addition to Imaginative Realism. But if I had to pick one of the two, it would be the first book. That leads us to our last question. And, uh, it's sometimes a controversial question amongst artists, but I would like to know what your definition of art is. And if you think you create it, why do you create it? So this starts the second half an hour of the interview, right? <laughs> what is definition of art? Right. Um, it, uh, you know, it is interesting to see the definition of art change and, uh, become so broad that from the from the art world standpoint just about anything is art i was reading this article there's this guy that will charge $250,000 to come out to your land and dig a ditch on your property with a backhoe and then have a little plaque there that acknowledges that the artist created that ditch <laughs> and and it's art and there's this painting of this fool standing in this ditch that's just been dug, grinning. He's so happy that this artist has come and created this on his land. And I just think, oh my gosh, where where are we? Is this is that even a good thing? I don't know. I I think my definition of art, for better or worse, is a lot narrower than that. Just like my definition of plumbing or music or carpentry um doesn't include anything that someone says. You know, if someone came and plumbed my sink with macaroni noodles and said it was plumbing, I wouldn't agree. You know, I would, <laughs> right. no, that's not plumbing. It doesn't work for me. Um, and I know art is a little bit different. But uh, so for me, my definition of art, I want to be uplifted and I want to be inspired. 
um, I want to have ideas presented to me and, uh, great art does that. Um, you know, it makes me, it makes me have a sense of awe for the achievement of the person that created that piece of work that I'm able to recognize their skill. I'm able to recognize their efforts to have arrived to that point in their life that they can create something, um, that, that I consider a piece of art. And that doesn't mean that everything that, that all art has to paint the beautiful or the ideal far from it. Um, I think paintings that, that convey sorrow and convey, um, even some of the, the sides of humanity that, um, maybe would be considered evil or would be, um, considered, um, you know, dealing with morals, um, it doesn't have to all be sunshine and, and flowers, you know, no, far from it. I, I like art that contains great messages. There's Bouguereau has that wonderful painting of Dante and Virgil in hell. And it uh, shows these, this devil and he's wrestling with this man and he's biting him on the neck. And it's, it's a very powerful painting. It's, it's not a happy painting, but it's a very powerful painting. I think it's a magnificent work of art. Um, so to, to kind of summarize that again, I, I think art that inspires me in some way or images that inspire me in some way are, are what I consider to be artwork. Great. And thank you. A ditch in someone's backyard is definitely not art to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you if you have any final parting advice and then uh, you can tell our audience where they can find you. I think my final advice would be to pass on the advice that's meant so much to me just recently, and that's to slow down and do the work that is going to, that's going to inspire you and make you happy and um, slow down in your efforts. Take the time to really think about what you're creating. Why, why are you creating it? Why are you excited about it? And why will your audience be excited about it? Um, And I think, I think you'll find that the results are very satisfying and very rewarding as a result of doing that. And be aware of your process along the way. That's something that if if you've followed some of my posts, some of my blogs, I talk a lot about process and being aware of the steps that you take as you create your artwork. Um, so it, uh, I kind of roll all of those things into that advice of, of slowing down. Um, I have a website. Uh, it's just howardlion.com. You can find a lot of my work there on, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, my handle is howardlionart. And you can find me there on Instagram. I post a lot of my work in progress shots. And so as I start new pieces, um, you can kind of see how I, I go through a piece from start to finish there. So that might be a place that people would want to follow if they're interested in seeing my process. Great. Great. Well, Howard. Thank you once again for taking the time for being on the show. And I just want to wish you continued success with your, your, your illustration, your fine art career and your amazing, amazing work of art. And, uh, just want to wish you the best on your creative track. Well, thanks so much, Sean. I, I look forward to seeing, uh, your upcoming work as well and following what you're doing. So thank you again for having me. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, Please leave us a review on iTunes or head over to creativetrek.com and drop us a note. Let me know what you thought of today's episode and also what you're struggling with or what you want to learn. If you want to dive in and get to know and be more prolific in your work, 
then by all means, reach out. I love listening to my audience. If you have any questions, you can tweet me at Creative Trek or just send me an email. I hope you took a lot away from today's episode. Howard was a wonderful guest, truly, truly a great inspiration. And I hope he really made some impact on you to go out there, be prolific, use your voice, and make your mark. <laughs>